the software and that little software powered like $150 million of sales between the three of us over the next four years. I remember when I told him, I was like, I'm giving up my multi-million dollar net income and I'm gonna go make zero for the next like four or five years. And he was like, why? The number one thing I see with most entrepreneurs is that most people give up right before it was about to happen. Social media, man, like you hear about, the, oh, he went from zero, 18 months, 40 million. And like everyone sticks on that. But the reality is most people will never do that. Add a landing page and a product Literally. and you just need to go crazy. Like yeah. none of the other stuff really matters. Welcome to episode 65 of New Money Talks. Yeah. Guys, guys, guys amazing. On the money. <laughs> we, got, we got Jimmy Kim in the house today, all the way from Texas. Thanks for coming out to New Jersey, my guy. Yeah. We appreciate you. Thanks for having He's me, He's the uh, CEO and founder of Senlane. If you guys don't know what Sunlane is, they're the better Clavio. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like it. I like it. I like it. Oh, man. Um, I, I kind of know where I want to take this today. Um, before we even go into that, you're like the expert in email marketing. Obviously, you've been doing this for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years now. You've been in e-commerce. Um, I don't want to butcher your intro in a sense. So just tell people a few minutes who you are, what you do and everything. Sure. And actually, my first question I'm going to ask you now and then you answer it after is what are the secrets to email marketing? Because I feel like people love learning those things in the beginning, and then sure. we'll go into the stuff I want to learn about. Got it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you about me a little bit. Uh, I'll start my life. So I've been in email marketing for now 15 years now. Damn. Uh -huh. So I started email when spam filters were non-existent, and the <laughs> list size absolutely mattered. And the bigger your list, the more money you were going to make, right? Yeah. And that was like back in the day, 2008, 2007. Like that, those were the days. I always look back, and I'm always like, I should have sent more email, <laughs> right? Because the money was printing back then. Yeah. So uh, I started my first life in the car business, right? So I'm going to date myself and age myself now. But like in 2001, when I was coming out of school, I, I was, uh, didn't know what to do. And I ended up in car sales, moved up the ranks real fast, eventually became a general manager of three Saturn stores. And then in 2008, when the whole recession hit, I jumped into digital marketing. And so my digital marketing journey started with like affiliate marketing, basically, like uh, I, I worked for this guy named Onyx Singhal. He uh, has this affiliate classroom thing that he was teaching people how to use PPC to generate affiliate commissions and yada, yada, yada. Uh, inside of there, I learned about email and I started to learn about the love of email there. And that led me to kind of starting my own company. And I spun off off of him and I started first being an affiliate marketer. Then I became a content creator and I became a, a software company. And the way it progressed was I was affiliate marketing. And then I was like, man, I could teach people this and make more money. Right. <laughs> we all know the same. Yeah, right? yeah. It always happens. The progression. I was like, yeah. man, making like 10, 15 grand a month affiliate markets, pretty cool. But I could make a million dollars if I teach people how to do this. And that's <laughs> how to exactly make 10, 15 grand. Everybody and that's, I mean, that's the reality of yeah. it, right? Like, it's like, hey, why don't I spread this to masses? Became a content creator, started selling courses on things. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, going to software because I was trying to solve my own problems. Okay. And I decided like when I couldn't solve it, I would just go put money into it and go build it. Because I had Upwork and I didn't know, you know, I was just working with anyone I that would work with me and I didn't know what damn what, thing What kind about of software it. was this? Uh, all sorts of stuff. So I had a, I had a, you ever seen like a whiteboard video where it looks like a hand's drawing on yeah, it stuff, yeah. doodle animation, doodly. I co-founded that product. Oh, There's wow. a product Ooh. called Click, uh, Click Perfect, which is a click tracking platform. I had that product that I created. There was an ebook re uh, creator that I had created. 
Uh, I had a push notification product way back when mobile push was brand new. Uh, mobile site generators. <laughs> what have you, know? you done? <laughs> I, I've done a little bit of everything. I built a bunch of different assets. Yo, the thing I love about Jimmy, sorry to cut you off. You look like you're 25, by I the know. way. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm 42. So like, I know people think, oh, how the hell? How yeah. the hell are you yeah, doing? Yeah, dude, I've been doing this. I was not doing email marketing. I was nine years old, <laughs> you know? But yeah, dude, like uh, it definitely started. But um, yeah, so I, I did this and I created this software company. And during that time, a buddy of mine in Vegas had hit me up and was like, hey, I got a PO for 50 grand for Pacific Sunwear. I don't know, is Pacific Sunwear a thing Pacific anymore? No, no, not anymore, right? So this again dates myself. Pacific Sunwear <laughs> was like the, the old school streetwear company where like okay. you get Stussy and like stuff like that. Like that's where it all started. And so they had a PO for it and it was like, I need money. What can you do? And so I gave him 50 grand because I had money. And uh, I walked into a store. He had a retail storefront in Las Vegas, maybe a couple months later. And I walked in and I was like, looking around, I was like, this is pretty cool. I was like, what are you doing online? And he looked at me and was like, I don't do anything online. And I was mm. like, cool. And then we started talking and I said, look, make me a partner. We'll go scale this thing online. And I was like, the vision is we dump the boutique stuff and we go full brand. We produce our own stuff. You've got this cut and sew. You've got these elongated tees that you're producing. You've got, you know, scoops and hems and different things that we've already started figuring out early. This is 2013. Mm -hmm. Let's, uh, let's go like capitalize on this market. So that's what we did, man. And so we built this brand while we're building that brand. I was working on this other side. So I was running both things and Sendlane started because both those brands were using email, and this, the options I had were Bronto and Mailchimp back then. What the hell is Bronto? Yeah, see, see, Bronto. Yeah, is know, right. Bronto Mailchimp. is your original e-commerce email product. Really? It got sunsetted in 2020, I think. Finally, after getting acquired by Oracle and then being sold. Wow. But that was like the original e-commerce. That was like the. And you know, it's funny. It's sad because the product, honestly, was a. It did literally everything and anything you could think about. It was just so convoluted because they just kept building on top of and it. And Mailchimp yeah. was so simple, though. Yeah, Mailchimp yeah, was so yeah, simple. Yeah, so yeah, you had yeah, these yeah. two polar opposite companies, and we were like, "Well, we want this, but we want Mailchimp prices." So me and two other uh, guys, we basically put money and we put ten grand each in, and we decided to develop the software. And that little software powered like. $150 million of sales between the three of us over the next four years. Wow. So we're mm. like, you know, we're like, all right. And so then it all led to 2017 when I was like, uh, I was having created differences with my partner in my clothing store. So what I mean by that is I wanted to scale Facebook ads and he wanted to be cool. And we couldn't be cool and scale Facebook ads. Yeah, and fair. we felt we fell apart a bit and I decided that I needed to walk away. So he bought me out. I sold all my assets to my other company, my, you know, Doodly, ClickPerfect, Pixel Studio Effects, all these products I sold off. And uh, what's cool is they continue to live on today, but like I, I sold those off and I went all in on Sendlane. And the idea of Sendlane was not that I wanted to go build just another email tool. Email was like the foundation for me, but I wanted to go solve my biggest problem. When I was a brand, my biggest problem that I had was the amount of tools that I used in order to run my brand, like 20, 30 tools, man. Yeah. And like, Things that I could, didn't even log into months because I would forget about it. You just it. keep thought, paying for these Yeah, you things. just keep yeah, paying yeah, for yeah. it because you know you need it, but you don't actually utilize it. Yeah, like, that's fair, I yeah. ask people, like, when's the last time you jumped into reviews product? And you're like, mm. yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't like, even know which one I yeah, use. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm always like, see, that's a problem. Like, you should be in front of these things. So, mm -hmm. like, uh, that was the vision. And I started building this product and I went all in in 2017 and I gave up everything to go all in. And for the last six years, been building the living heck out of this thing. And I know that I've probably bubbled up in the last year or two, but that was very intentional. Like I went and put my head down and got to grind in because I knew that I needed to build and be successful there before I can come out to market and be successful in the market. So yeah. pretty much this came about because you needed this 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and then, it's still wow. a need. And it's yeah, still a need. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 no yeah. one's solving it. Everyone's wearing out best in class tools. They're really hyped. That's great. But we're st we still have a bigger problem of time, man. Like time, you know, is the 
number one thing none of us can get back. And if you can solve people's time, you can help them make more money. So at a high level, Sunland, you want it to be pretty much all the t- all your toolbox all in one in a sense. For I want to be the retention pack, right? Like the thing you attach and like you have all your retention tools. And so you can like drive customer experience and you can look at the data, sure. get real attribution, so, life cycles. So, so what are some of these things you want to put in here? Or like I already have put in here because I know email is obviously the yeah, biggest so thing. Yeah, so we have email, SMS reviews. We've got our new uh, forms product, which is like surveys, quizzes, all that it's stuff like post, coming. Post-purchase. Yeah, post-purchase yeah. stuff coming. We've got more channels coming. So WhatsApp, push. Uh, oh, we've wow. got more loyalty stuff coming down wow. the route. Like I'm going to bring the stack together and essentially just have a real complete tool that doesn't suck, right? I'm not like trying to have a bad product. I want a really death product that's like really marketing centric around all the things. Like a lot of the things we do today even are like really unique to the marketer that when you figure out what we are doing, people are like, holy crap, you're thinking about it at the next level. Like the ability to like, tag a specific link to get the contextual data out of every specific link, that doesn't exist in the market, but we do that. Mm. And so when people understand it and they're able to understand that and then to use cross device and hack real time, like like SMS and email working together, like it's suddenly a magical unlock. You know what I mean? Interesting. So that's, that's like some of the things that we think about. But yeah, that's my, I'm not going to go so deep. But that's how I got to here though. That's no, for sure. For, for sure. So, yeah. For sure. yeah. Damn. So you <laughs> did a little bit of everything. Done everything. Damn. Yeah. Well, well, Go go. Sorry, oh, sorry. I just wanted to ask you what's uh what's been the biggest difference running one company versus having run multiple at the same time, dude. You know, uh, it's this is something I give advice to all the time. You know, what I've learned about entrepreneurs, we we chase a lot of things because we have a lot of itches and we're scratching and trying to figure that out. But the thing that I've learned really over the last seven years, like I know we all want the outcome and we chase it, and that's why we go after so many. But making myself focused on one thing and going all in, it allows you to unlock the one thing that entrepreneurs are special with, which is obsession. I think that a good entrepreneur is so obsessed with their market, so obsessed with what they're doing. By having too many obsessions, it's really hard to get truly obsessed and engulfed into mm-hmm. it. So I'm curious though, because like I th- we had a conversation, a good one with the first time we met. And like, we're both young and I think we both deal with that same problem. Like even right now, right? Like yeah. we have our main thing. And then like every other month, there's some stupid thing that's like, for example, I was like, let's start a content agency. Why? You know what I mean? Yeah. But then you're like, oh, well, if I get five clients at 3K a month, yeah. that's 15K, boom, 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 boom. Someone who's done this for 20 years, right? How, like, what have you done to like not have that happen? You know, it's commitment, man. It's just being able to commit up front and knowing, like committing to the long game. Like when I went to send, like, look, and, and Dan, it's a perfect person who talks about this. I was making Shout money. out to Silva. Yeah, the Silva, <laughs> right? Like I've been mentoring that kid for, for forever. And I remember when I told him, I was like, I'm giving up my multi-million dollar net income and I'm going to go make zero for the next like four or five years. And he was like, why? I was like, because when you want to build something big and you want to go long, you got to put extreme focus and you got to almost starve yourself that you need to get to that point without giving up. The number one thing I see with most entrepreneurs is that most people give up right before it was about to happen. Mm. I say that because so many people are like, I'm throwing the towel and I'm like, dude, just slim down, focus, get six more months in there. You're right there, most people. Like the special thing about an entrepreneur is if you've got someone who's immediately and obsessed over things and you can stay obsessive, you will win over time. Obsession will always win over anything else you have. And it sounds weird, but- when you can't let go of something as a person, you will drive to make it win. Interesting. Right? Interesting. And it's a weird like thought process, but that's what I see. So I go back to that question. It's focus, man. It's focus obsession. Like, well, however you want to look at it, I call it obsession because I think it's beyond focus. It's this level where you like 
wake up thinking about it. You go to sleep thinking about it. All you can talk about is about it. Like I, you guys, I, I, be honest. Though, like in the last, like since 2017, has there been times where like you'll let me try another little project on the side? Have you had that? <laughs> no, actually, really I stayed never. committed. Yeah, I definitely had itches. I definitely had times I wanted to give up, but I stayed committed and focused because For sure. you know what it is is like you just always got to paint that positive, optimistic narrative of like the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. and you just got to keep aiming, man. You got to keep targeting, driving. For sure. For sure. I feel like as you get older too, like you start understanding that more because like you've gone through different cycles of different businesses. Yeah. I think for younger people, they haven't gone through any of that yet. Some guys are just like on their third month of e-commerce on like, I don't know, 50, 80K a month. They're like, well, let me try, I don't know, let me try sales now, like high ticket yeah. sales. It's like, you know, it's all like, there's so many, with social media, there's so many different kind of bubbles and things you can jump everything. into. There's yeah. everything, right? Everything. So it's kind of interesting, like the guys who are most successful, are just like, no, pick one thing, obsess on it, focus on it. And like, just ignore everything else. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier said than done though, you well, know? Yeah. And you said it, social media, man. Like you hear about, the, oh, he went from zero, 18 months, 40 million. And like everyone sticks on that. But it, the reality is most people will never do that. You know yeah, what I mean? Literally. That's like lightning in a bottle, man. Most things is you work five, six years and then overnight the success occurs. Yeah. And like people think they are like, even me right now today, like I know I'm in a market really well right now. And people are like, well, where'd you guys come out? I was like, Oh, I've been doing this for seven years, man. Like this isn't yeah. overnight. Like yeah. I've got more, I've, I've been around longer than most of the people of my customers, the brands that are on my platform for because sure. I've been building, you know? Yeah. I'm curious, like, what did spark that little change? Obviously it's not overnight, yeah. but like you purposely did some things to like yeah, make absolutely. you pop up in a sense. So it was a big plan. So what I did was I, you know, I, I tried the old school stuff, man. I tried like the, the sales calls and the cold emails and, you know, the human stuff. Like we're trying all this stuff. And I kind of looked back and I was looking around and I said, you know what? I've been approaching this all wrong because I didn't understand my competitor enough. I was trying to compete at the wrong places and okay. the things like price and like, Price is like a good positive, but it's not the reason you compete often. It's just one of the things. And I kind of looked at the market and I said, here's the thing about the market. They all use Clavio, for example. This is my biggest competitor. And why do they use him? A lot of times they use him because they didn't know any of, of any other option often, right? There's number one, because most Popularity. brands started, that's where they started. Number two, they have a way of thinking and the things that they want to do. So for me, I looked at that and said, okay, Clavio, good tool good ecosystem of agencies, what's the thing they're missing? They're missing a thought leadership. They're missing a, a position of educating and pushing people forward. And I looked at that and said, I'm really good at that. Why don't I just double down and work on that? So I created what I called the, effectively the community playbook. And what I said okay. to my team was very simple. I said, I need to create a wall of sound and I need to be able to be in front of everyone everywhere. We're going to do it the old school gorilla way. And they were like, looked at me, blinked a couple. I said, that means I'm going to travel a lot. And we're going to do a lot of podcasts. We're going to be at a lot of events. We're going to pay our way to speak. We're going to make sure that my voice is heard and I can explain what I'm doing because I know what I'm talking about. So uh, essentially, we started that playbook and uh, we just went one by one, man. Like I traveled so much this last year. I did so many podcasts. Like everything I'm doing is not about just, not about Sendlane. It's about actually thought leadership around what I'm teaching, what I know, and what I'm educating the market. And that's what's helped drive the people to me, in my mm -hmm. opinion. It's not because I actually don't talk about Sendlane that much in the market at all, because I don't think I need to. I think that speaks for itself because look guys, software, like we all expect software at some level these days, you know what I mean? No, for sure. But yeah. where people align, just like you guys, right? You guys, you know, if you're, if you have a brand and you've got UGC and you've got, you know, people, it's the same thing, mm -hmm. right? But I could be my own. And that's where I realized that I had that power. So without getting into all the nitty gritty, the overarching idea was a community. It was events, podcasts, uh, you know, sponsorships, dinners, uh, being on pods like this, 
um, doing speaking engagements, doing webinars, like saying yes to everything and just focusing on, again, going back to it, one topic, a repetitiveness to a point where I feel like I'm over-communicating it sometimes, but the rapid uh, take on, right? Like, and do you think this is better than just like sales of just like BDR, like SDR, AE, normal, just like- I think that, that the that world playbook. is changing. The market is changing. That old- Well, I see that, I see that on LinkedIn. Everyone's saying like that model is changing, right? Yeah. But like all these billion dollar tech companies have been built like that, you know? Built on that, correct. They yeah, were built yeah, yeah. on that. They wouldn't be built today on that, you don't right? Think so. Like the old Salesforce B2B playbook, it's expiring. And it's really just because- And what's the reason for that though? I like, think it's just- Inboxes, humans. you can't get into inboxes. Well, stuff. that I think is one problem. I think also humans are different now, meaning like they have a different way of buying. Like it was like 10 years ago when you bought software, you just got hit up and you bought something. You didn't know that you could have peer reviews, a social network, yeah, different things interesting. like humans and people. And then third, I think is it's way harder to get a hold. Not only inboxing, people are working remote, so you can't get a hold of them in their office. You can't just walk into an office with a bag. You walk into an office and there's only like four people in there. <laughs> there. Right? Yeah. Like they're paying should... like 100K a month for an empty office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they're in there because they have an office, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like harder to get a hold of people too. And then really, I think the buyers just got intelligent, smarter. Okay. Smarter. And the people who are in charge are changing. That's the biggest thing for me, right? Okay. The people that were gray-haired and people who were making decisions, they like that old phone call system. They like getting hit up and they like getting that cold sales. People who are now at the decision-making, I would say like my age, like the older millennial I call myself because I'm an elder millennial. Like He's laughing as he says that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, right? But like I, that, we're the decision-makers these sure. days, a lot of the bigger companies. And we have a different buying. We don't like to get bothered by phone calls. We want to get to the point. We want to, you know what I mean? So like, I think the buying behaviors of humans and business is evolving. And that's why I think the playbook's broken. Interesting. So pretty much you build like these personas that like is out in the market a lot and like all that trickles down into like booking calls for people to yeah, sign up for something. inbound, right? Inbound, inbound, right, inbound versus outbound. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're definitely an inbound. I feel like company. HubSpot did a lot of that, but like not with people, but with like literally blogging and content. Like blogging, a, content, and academy, right? That was their what's, thing. What's a, oh, they like had teaching, this huge teaching. HubSpot academy free course, mm, teach you how to do the HubSpot way, set it up and all that. That was a big hit for them and they get people certified and for all sure. that stuff. Yeah. So they did a good job doing it too. And they had a version of through content Unfortunately, content now is not blogging, it's social media, right? Okay, I see what That's you're the saying. difference. It's it's evolved. Like it's hard to rank on Google now and all this yeah, type of stuff. Yeah, and yeah, paid yeah. ads is incredibly hard. Dude, in B2B, paid ads is one of the hardest things to deal with because the sales cycles aren't, they're not yeah. just impulsive. They That's true. take multiple touch points. So we don't spend any money on paid ads, for example. Mm. Like we're like the anti SaaS company. We don't spend money on paid ads. We spend all our money on like events and really things that don't scale. But if you put them together, they, they scale. They come together. They Compounds. scale. Yeah. And it's weird because look, it's the touch points that you're serving, but in a different way, like being on a webinar, being on a podcast like this, being at an event, speaking on stage, being on a webinar, like all of those people are touch pointing and engulfing you over time. They see a couple of social media clips and that's how you build authority with them, right? And when that moment comes, they will show up to your door at least to take a look. That's all we're trying to ask for, just a look, you know? Definitely. And that's all we're trying to gain, right? And so- that's where I think the playbook's changing a lot. And I know people talk about it. You, you mentioned it like kind of like, but they're like, well, where is it changing? I think the way it's changing is that it's it's becoming where software is no longer just software. There's a people human element on it. And I think it's really weird because everyone's making cutbacks at the same time while this is happening. But I think people want to not only have software, but it goes back to the old content creator. Content creators are almost coming on top of software, meaning they're teaching people how to utilize leverage and like maximize. Mm. And I think that's what people are looking for because 
we under, all understand software. Like when I say project management, you can name a thousand tools, right? Of course. But yeah. the reality is which one are you going to use? You're going to use the one that you know at this point. But if someone teaches you something new and they tell you how to do things and you need that specific software, suddenly that software becomes way more useful. Definitely. And I think that's where the world is changing to. I think one founder who does this well, I don't know if you know the company Lemlist. Lemlist, yes. Yeah, like the founder is like this French guy. And like I follow him. He's all over the web. And they pretty much do the same thing. He just like talks and does like podcasts and his own content, like he just kind of funnels in. And I think he built out like three other guys at Lemlist who are like just like content creators that are just copies of him yep. that bring it all down. It's, it's kind it. of, it's very interesting. Like That's that. what I'm yeah. building internally. Like a lot of the CSMs and programs are all copies of me where they have the retention mindset. And, you know, we're bringing in uh, retention marketers, not bringing in classic CSMs, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're not even staffing the same way that a SaaS company staffs. 100%. Because in it. order to talk that way, you need to have that marketing mantra, Definitely. right? And I saw also on LinkedIn, you do a lot of posts on just like good etiquette for email that like works well, right? I saw one that you were posting about um like uh, all text-based emails. Yeah. That's a big thing you were talking about. So what's killing it right now with email marketing? Like what can like e-commerce companies use to actually do well with email, yeah. with email marketing? Yeah, so what's killing it? I think, well, I think what's... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase that. What's <laughs> killing them right now? Mm, okay. uh, it's a better way to think. I don't think anything's killing them. I think people kill themselves often. And what I mean by that say is- Say that again. Say that again. Think, That's going to be a big cliff on this right? one. <laughs> look, look. I don't think uh, anything's killing it. I think people are killing themselves in email marketing. And the reason why I think that's happening is because there has been so many changes in evolution. Look, we're going to start with paid media first. In paid media, guys, like every day we have a new idea, a new hook, a new thing, a new tool. But man, if you think about email retention, like I actually was just talking about this on another podcast, email marketing and retention marketing. There's a stark difference between those two. Email marketing is people who are just sending email to send an email. They're designing, they're writing copy, but they have no intention of the bigger focus, right? And when you're thinking about retention marketing, you're thinking about audience management, you're thinking about inventory, you're thinking about business goals, you're thinking in a bigger holistic picture. So you treat your marketing different because you're attaching onto your overall arching strategic marketing and you're becoming a flywheel to that. An email marketer is just literally sending email to send email and there's nothing wrong with it. It might be a good copy, but when it doesn't resonate with the rest of the business, it doesn't work well. So what I'm talking about is him. I'll give you like two, three actionable, ready? Like first it's like audience management, right? I don't know where someone got the idea that you can just go to an engaged 90 day segment and that was like really good. Like that was the equivalent of Batch and Blast. That's literally a better <laughs> Batch and Blast that we're doing yeah. today. What you should be doing is taking your audience and splitting it up. And it's really simple. You don't have to get like crazy and with the, look, non-buyers, buyers, repeat buyers, one, two, three. It's a very simple formula. But if you literally take those people and treat them differently, look, your prospects are negative ROI until they make a buy, right? They are. They just opted in. So You're pretty much all SMS, these emails that you have that haven't emails. bought, it's just like, yeah. you can make money off of it, but like you haven't made anything Correct. off of it. And people's yeah, lists yeah, yeah. are like, you know, they might be sending, let's say a million emails, 800,000 is prospect emails, 200,000 to their customers. Reality is most of their money is made from their customers on repeat buying pet purchases. Very true. Yeah. And so when you start separating your audience, you quickly see, oh shit, prospects aren't making money. Customers are making money. Repeat customers are making me money. And then you realize, maybe I should go spend more time here. So a retention marketer would spend more time on a prospect, hammer at the prospect, send them more mail while excluding all your customers because this is the one that's negative and I need to turn that into so pretty much The second they buy something, now it's like, okay, I made money off that like email that I made no money off of. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly sense. it's yeah, now yeah. value, now right? It's now it's a positive. Yeah, it's a positive. Yeah. It's no longer negative. And now they're moved out of that bucket and they're now in your customer bucket so you can make a repeat purchase, right? Interesting. And they're more likely to do that once they've pulled out their wallet once. 
So there's that. I think that's number one. I think uh, number two, I think I see, and <laughs> it's the image email thing, right? Look, I wholeheartedly believe that agencies are great for the market. I believe that if you're a $10 million brand, for example, I'm going to give you a number, and you're supposed to be making 20 to 40% on your retention, that's two to $4 million. Why the heck are you hiring a $60,000 marketer to manage your $2 million to $4 million? That's stupid. That's insane. What you should be doing is hiring a program, a team, five, dollars $10,000 a month, and they're going to have the whole stack that you need, the four core, you know, designer, copywriter, uh, audience yeah. data manager. You need the right people to send that, right? So there's that number one piece. So that was the number one problem. The reason why people went to image only was they wanted to maximize their brand, their look, their feel, right? That's why people do the image only. When you thing. say image, you mean just like the whole thing's like a yeah, big it's a bunch of images image. that they're painting. It just looks on top. beautiful. It looks beautiful, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but it was also in 2010 a spam tactic. Right? In 2008, how did we spam in 2008 when we were trying to get into every inbox? We'd use images so no spam filters could ever catch you. Oh, really? Oh, that was, that, that's, that's where it started that from. Viagra ads started from image only ads, right? They're video things, right? So eventually we learned that and then people translated, then they learned Figma and then they said, oh, I could export Figma picture and paste it in, right? <laughs> like that's kind of where everyone went. But you fry yourself because, okay, we're not even going to talk about deliverability because that's one thing and people will argue with me on it. But let's get real focused on the weird things that happen. One, contextual clicks. Like, if you have all images, how do you know what they're clicking on? That's true, you don't. You yeah. know that they clicked on the top block. The second thing is not all clicks are equal, right? Dude, how many times have you ever tried to exit an email and accidentally clicked on that email because That's it's fair. image, right? Yeah. So accidental clicks, fake contacts, right? Uh, the third thing, accessibility, man. Like, people... Like, I know, like, you love your images, but the accessibility of that is not perfect when it's going device to device, right? It's not always perfect. And then last, it's the weirdest one of them all, but I've learned, searching. Dude, if you put text, if you put only images, you can't search for the email in your inbox. That's fair. Mm. And sometimes when you're like, hey, I wanted to look up this brand's blah, 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 you can't find it because it was all images. So, like, little things like that are one side of it. Then there's a whole factor of deliverability. Proven, I know people argue with me about this no matter what. Look, if you do really good audience management, well, most of you guys don't. If they do, <laughs> then yeah, image is fine, right? But yeah. if you don't do it, then images are hurting you. Wait, so if they do shitty audience management, what the fuck should they do? I'm curious. They should be using at least, a, I, I say a 40, 60%, like 60% image, 40% text. What I mean by text is like, it's the same thing you were gonna write on that image. Just bring it into HTML so there's readable text. So that the AI on the other end, the machine learning, all Gmail and the spam, they read it and say, oh, he's just having a sale on his shoes. Like they, that's all they want to know that you're sending a legitimate email yeah, that people care Because they about. can't really read the, the image. Well, they me. can, but then it's distorted and then they might take their own perception of it. Those images that are inside of it. They're going to use their AI to figure out what that might be worth, oh, right? So there's all this like weird data going on flowing around and, you know, people are like, well, show me the proof. And I'm like, well, you can see the proof when people execute it. That's very clear. But then, you know, it's also the extra work that comes with it. People hate the extra work of having to write in and do that. But the reality is, is like, again, you're paid for a service or you're doing and you want to maximize. And using that $10 million example, if you're responsible for 2 to $4 million, it's okay to put a little bit of text in there. And, and that's <laughs> yeah. where like some of these guys like, oh, you know, primary box inboxers and all this stuff. What the, what the you know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever seen that where people are out there like trying to teach like, oh, I can help you inbox or I can help you do oh, all this I see, stuff. Yeah, all yeah, they're yeah. doing is adding a shit ton of text on the bottom of the email, disclaimers and words. And you know really? what they're doing? They're just telling the spam filters that it's real people. That's all they're fixing. Oh, interesting. Because people just follow. Well, because now Gmail shit. has like the three boxes and everything, like the like the sales box, the primary, and some yeah, of the, all yeah, those yeah, promotions. Yeah, boxes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And everyone, everyone goes in the bullshit box. Like no one well, gets to the first box yeah, now. Yeah, and 
you know, it's intentional too, man. Like at the end of the day, I know like we as marketers always want to be like, we got to get in the primary box. We got to do all that stuff. But while the primary box does often is like trying to force it when it's not, is you get complaints because people read it and they don't like it and they actually get <laughs> mad about it. Yeah. That, it that hurts you more, right? It hurts you yeah. more sometimes than helps you. And I think people don't realize that just because you're in that one inbox doesn't mean you need to be in that primary inbox because the user has engaged with you a certain amount of times. That's how it pulls into the primary box, the real, right. real way, like the real behavioral way. When they're in your social box or any of the other ones and they come over, oftentimes you're in the promotional box because you're promoting, guys. Like that, that's and honestly where you're supposed to be. And that's sure. okay. Stand out. You know what 100%. I mean? And there's actually like really cool things you can do with like Gmail and stuff, like annotations and putting like your images in there and being able to have sliders in there. You can do a lot of stuff if people realize that if you leaned into the promotional box, you can actually make more off of it by standing out in the promotional interesting, box. Interesting. Interesting. You know so, I mean? so like text is the way to go right now. Like more text. More images, text. Obviously. You know, images are fine. Branding is fine, but you got to have readable text. That's really sure. nice. Readable text your CTAs, at least at least make your CTAs readable text and bring it out separately so that you're not diluting I, your- I've talk. seen people write like two sentence emails and those just rip. Oh yeah, they do, of course. It's just like, hey, from the founder, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But like, you know what it is? It's direct response copy. If okay. you think about it, right? That's fair. Text. Why do people not like text? Because they don't like copywriting. They don't like to write. And they don't like to- realize that that's the power of what sells. Oh, she's saying the image, people like like making nice images. In it's a easy. Sense. It's easier. It's easy. You can take a designer, beautiful image of a shoe, put some color and spark, 20% off. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. But now tell someone to write about that shoe. Suddenly, everyone looks at you and they have no freaking clue how to write. Interesting. But you're saying if you did write it better, the text would do better than the image all day. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It will always do better, but always just writing text in general is helpful. Like even if it's on the image and you still refuse to listen to this and you still want to go, just write better text in the image, at least so that it's readable, meaning like good normal font. And then two, like make sure that it's readable so that the AI can at least try to read some What, what do you think about this? Because I, I used to run an e-com brand for like four years and our best email, the subject line was yo. Yeah. Yo, and like sometimes the person's name, sometimes not their name. And the next line was just like, hi, this is John, the founder of like blah, blah, blah brand. Thanks for purchasing. Like, here's ten percent off your next purchase. Like, that's it. So, and I think like the uh, the ten percent off was like um, a link. It's mm -hmm. like literally just like a underlined link, blue. Oh, they would click on it. Yeah. And that would rip. Yeah. Um. Why don't people do more of that? Though people send all these like nice, elaborate, crazy. So shit. It, this becomes the whole question of branding versus conversion and dollars and revenue, right? Is it really the on brand? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Is it going to create conversions? Yes, absolutely. So it's like finding balance between. I tell people like. Use direct response style stuff as a disruptive play. Don't use it all the time because then you burn your audience from making disruptive, That's fair. right? So that yo email is disruptive as hell because it's not normal. It kind of probably feels like it came from you and it feels special and people like that, right? Yeah. But the reality is if you did that every day, it wouldn't be effective anymore. That's true because it's not yeah. special. Yeah, It'll work exactly. once. Interesting. Got yeah. you. Okay. From all the people who use Sendlink, actually, how many people use Sendlink? Can you about talk about 1,700 that? people right now. Got you. 700 brands, yeah. Who are some of the brands that you do see do really good job on email marketing? So, yeah, that? I mean, we can talk about some of them. So, you know, one of the companies I like that I've been impressed by is Milk Bar is one of our clients, for example, okay. Milk Bar Cookies. They do a good job, good content, uh, good mix, healthy return rate, like, well, not health, super insane. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it's- Yeah, it's keep it to yourself. <laughs> triple, triple what most people talk about, I would say, in wow. the market. Like, it's just- and, and what are they doing to do that? Just great 
content, email, follow-up triggered events that are happening when they're looking at stuff. And, you know, they're using contextual data of like what people are doing, like if someone's asking for something, like I just came from the Avi offices, they're they're a client as well too, Mm -hmm. and they're perfect. So their product is collagen, right? And, or that's their main product, they have a ton of other products, but they have weight loss, uh, skincare, helps you sleep, all that stuff. So for with them, we've been asking them, their clients, they've been asking what people are doing and based around those answers by the tag of the send link, them another play, type they're of sending email. more email about that specifically. So they're, they're here to lose weight with their product. They're just going to send an employee emails about losing weight, for example, instead of talking about skincare and everything else, because mm-hmm. apparently they don't care. Yeah. And I think people don't think about that well enough. So like those are two brands I can tell you right off the back that are doing pretty good. I've got plenty of brands that are doing No, 100%. Good. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think people always like seeing like the killer brands and just trying to like copy in a sense yeah, and like trying of to build off. Like I guess gained inspiration, not copy, but like yeah. you know, it's, it's always good because like, all right, if they're doing it well, then like, okay, maybe I can like make my own spin on that. It should do well as well, you know. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. What, what do you got? I'm sorry. You no. You mentioned uh, one thing before that I think a lot of brands neglect, and it's like who you're actually sending emails to can dictate your deliverability, the value of them, like the lifetime value. So a lot of people are just sending emails to every single email they have, and also sending like one size fits all emails. But if you go that extra mile to personalize it and to segment it based on who it is then like not only will it convert better, but it'll also retain them longer as a customer because now they're not hitting spam when the next email they could have gotten might be something that's more educational or personalized. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking. And I, and I think the word personalization, people take that wrong. Personalization starts at your audience. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. is the person on the other end? That's exactly right. Not what can you enrich inside the email or like one of that. It literally starts with who is the person on the end and why are they special? Why, why do they want to buy a red product? A buyer, you don't need to go explain the brand story or the benefit story to the buyer. You need to give them another reason to make that next purchase. Interesting. Versus a non-buyer has not pulled out their wallet. How are you going to get them to pull out their wallet? You got to get aggressive, man. You got to push definitely. on it. It's almost like a, a waterfall. And we all know like if someone opts into your list and if they don't buy in about 90 days, the chance of them buying after 90 days starts getting very, very tiny. So might as well not even send them anything. But yeah. you'd be surprised how many people are still on your list two years later that are still opening and wow. clicking within a 90-day window that wow. everyone's set. And so even though they're opening an email one or, once every like three months, that's keeping them on the list and you're just burning money, time, and effort. And yeah. to your point, not helping your deliverability because you're not getting that final click out of them or purchase. Yeah. A question about deliverability. Can like, say you like screw deliverability, can you improve it after you screw it? Or is that like, like for example, there's brands with like a million million person email list, right? And like some just send nonstop. So the delivery must be horrible. You know what I mean? How do they fix that? So deliverability is like this glass of water in front of me, right? Okay. It's like It's like the easiest way I explain it is like, it's a glass of water that you can either fill or pour out. Filling is by getting engagement clicks, you know, re- you know, revenue ultimately will cr- fill the cup. And then every time you run bad stuff, you're kind of spilling the cup at the same time. So it's like finding that balance behind it. So if I had bad deliverability, anything is fixable at the end of the day. Okay. But the hardest thing that deliverability is hard is it's time. Time is the thing that people hate about deliverability because everything runs in cycles, 24-hour cycles, 14-day windows, like Gmail, for example, is running your... Uh, spam complaints over a 14-day window, for example. So it's always congregating, releasing, removing. So, you know, if you are having a bad experience now, giving it enough time will recover because it will reset to a neutral reputation to allow you to come back and go positive. Now, you screw it up and you keep pushing further, it gets harder and harder. And eventually you can burn a domain, but even a burnt domain over time will recover and come back. Interesting. So it's like a rolling reputation because 
look, the internet knows that like, if you have a domain name.com and then you sell it into me, it shouldn't be my problem that you had a bad reputation. That's fair. There mm -hmm. should be enough time that we could reset our reputation. Interesting. Got it. Cause I feel like that's another thing people don't talk about that much. Yeah. Deliverability. That's space. cause it's unknown. And I, yeah. I talk about this pretty often in market because there's a lot of changes coming right now. Like, to, like 2024 in February, I don't know if you guys have heard about it yet, but like the new Gmail, Yahoo, AOL changes coming in February, okay, 2024. What, yeah. I'll tell you about it. But this is going to be as detrimental as iOS 14 was for email, uh, uh, for PayPal. Really? Mm. And why do I say that? Because, well, okay, first of all, they're forcing everyone to have DKIM, DMARC. What that well, means what is that basically, mean? you ever get an email and it says like, you know, John at, you know, John's brand. And then it says via Clavio Mail or Sendlane email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That via means that I'm using a shared service space. And I'm using shared reputation of your domain, of their domain, mm. not your domain, right? Interesting. So DMARC says that you and us, that we've connected and now I'm using your reputation to send with, right? That's what Beehive does. Yes. Yes, yeah. right? That's why Beehive's things go straight to inboxes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, but they're trying to make privacy and data protection a better place. So they force you to basically lock your stuff in and say, this is me. No one else can represent me because this is me. And I'm sending on behalf of, you know, whatever business or client or whatever it is. Right. So that's the number one thing, that authentication that's happening. That's not going to kill people, but that's sure going to destroy the affiliate marketing space. Unfortunately, that's just <laughs> going to happen. And they're, I hope they're ready for it. Number two, like technology, they want easier unsubscribe methods. You know how right now, like they hide it, they make you type it. They People yeah. screwed it up. Marketers screw up everything good, guys. <laughs> and so we hit it so well and people hit it and did it that now they want a one click. When you unclick, it needs to unsubscribe. That oh, cannot go to a managed page. Mm. It needs So you actually have to work on a resubscribe page now soon. That's oh, going to be wow. a change wow. that you got to think about. Third is the biggest change. The biggest change is they really, they call it engaged sending. So in Google, all of them, they have spam complaint rates, right? And typically in the market, 0 0.2, 0.3%, pretty normal in the market to see, sometimes even a little bit higher. Well, where, 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 where do you see these spam complaints? Like, how do you find that percent? So it's, there's two places with a tool like uh, like Sendlane, I'll give you an example. You'll see your Yahoo, AOL, and Hotmail inside of uh, the platform. Oh, really? With Google, okay. you can't see. You have to actually get a tool called Google Postmaster Tool, sometimes commonly known as GPT that you have to download and hook up to your domain and you can see your spam complaints Interesting, from there. I didn't wow. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you can big. actually hook up to every domain and see your Gmail spam complaints. So the, the rule of metric is going to be 0.3%. And here's the thing about 0.3%. Today, if I hit 0.3%, not too big of an effect. It might be a little bit alarming. And now with the new rules at 0.3%, Google will stop delivering your emails. Wow. They will Jeez. not put it in the spam box. They will block you. They will defer you is what well, we call it. Will you know that it happened? Or you well, know? again, it depends on the ESP and all that stuff. Interesting. But yes, they, you should know. We know when the defer, deference happens and that happens, right? So that deference is occurring, which is big. So Yahoo, all of them have their own versions of it, but essentially you are measured on every TLD. Jeez. So this is the year that people are going to suddenly realize that you can't look at your top level. You've got to drill down to your top level domains, your Gmail's, Yahoo's, Microsoft's, and you've got to basically live in there and understand where it comes in. That comes with a mixture of hygiene, right? What I talked about earlier, like getting rid of people who've just been hanging on your audience, but not buying, clicking, or doing anything. Get rid of some of those people. Uh, getting tighter with some of your things, like, you know, well, again, going back to Gmail, Yahoo, AOL, and Hotmail, Microsoft right now, they're sunsetting stuff too right now. And what I'm talking about is if you haven't used a Gmail account in uh, two years, they're deleting it and they're making it like spam traps or whatever. And we get right now, we're getting signals back saying like, uh, uh, what is it called? Like decayed account or whatever. And they're basically wow. bouncing out. But if you're not oh, doing shoot. cleaning those, those, those are going to become natural bounces and eventually spam traps. So again, hygiene becoming a big thing. What's, a, what, what's a good way to clean your lists? 
Oh, then just like going into Excel and fucking playing. Well, with it. I think it's not just cleaning your list. I think it's first taking separating your list out, right? Again, going back to the simple things, I think prospects, I go way tighter, right? I'm talking like, you know, opted in in a certain time range and is engaging and then start scrubbing people or not. I talked about it. Every business is a window. If you 90 days, most likely, is where your window I, is. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I feel like that would be a cool tool, just like. You throw a list in, and it gives you like different ways to cut it. In a sense, yeah, that'd be does, a that, cool does that tool. exist anywhere? Not really. Yeah, That's yeah. a good business there idea. There you go, right there. There you go. Sunland can it, make it a would whole... have to be integrated to a lot of different things. Yeah, though, yeah. It we would can be... integrate Sunland yeah. first. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just <laughs> make a tool and make people import. No, but, but literally, just like Excel, oh, like or just you... or just remove like inactive domain, like, like emails, for example, stuff you like export that. all your customer lists on Shopify, and then it's like, all right, like here's like. 15 different things that could possibly happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's like all the Excels. Here you go and I plug them it. in. That's actually a really yeah, smart yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. smart idea. Tell the we, have, we have a tool called <laughs> List Hygiene that does it based on engagement, but you could actually, we could actually take that and potentially add perimeters behind it okay. and change it. That's actually a great idea. Like yeah. this 90 day plus add this, this and that to it. And if they match that segment, get rid of it's it. It's kind of right? like on Facebook guys, when you do like um, like audiences and stuff like that, like look like audiences, you start cutting out different stuff. Like yeah. kind of similar to Exclusions, that. Exclusions, yeah. yeah. Exclusions, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, feel like, I feel like 0.3% spam is like not that bad. It's, you'd be surprised. Most brands are right around there. Like I feel like, so, so you're saying out of a thousand people, if three people hit you in spam, then that's considered really bad. Correct. That's crazy. That's kind of crazy. Because like the average consumer, like naturally, if Everyone's they feel like they're being spam. sold to for something that they didn't weren't interested in buying, they'll just be like, oh, spam. Yeah, you're right. Because it takes two seconds. This is where it gets hard. That's crazy. This is where it's going to get hard. Jeez. And this is why I say like people are going to struggle. Like affiliate marketing guys, they're running 0. 0.5, 0. 0.7. They're done. Like yeah. they get fried over on that space. They're going to go into like, I was saying like affiliate marketing is the next, like, you know, the mortgage space, the payday loan, like that space okay. at all, the lead gen space. That space already can't do email because of this problem because their spam complaints are so high already. Yeah. Affiliate marketing's next. Because unfortunately, that's the next thing that has to fall because it's kind of where they're targeting. They're targeting people who are sending mm -hmm. nameless emails, right? But Actually, yeah. Another dude, another thing I was thinking about too is like, so there's MailChimp, right? Which is a, a massive company. It's like a billion, multi-billion dollar company. It was like bootstrapped almost. Now yep, some yep. crazy thing. And then there's Clavio that does like for e-commerce, selling for e-commerce. I feel like there's no other like um, email company that just does like non-e-commerce, if that makes sense, right? There's a, dude, there's it's tons. 2,000 plus. Like, like there's no like name that I can like, right. Oh, like, like, give like me a name for example. Contact. Exactly. Yeah. It's like garbage. Yeah. And then you have like these, see, I know all the big enterprise Like for example, is OmniSend, like OmniSend's like an e-commerce one still. Yeah, they're they're like the MailChimp of Europe. That's, that's, like, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's like. How come no one's done like, I don't know, email for like tech companies and stuff like that? There are. There, there are, are, really. definitely there's email for tech. There's email for restaurants. There's email for really? bars and restaurants. There's a little bit for everything. You'd be surprised. I'd be really you, surprised. No, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a different really world. You'd be surprised when you open and realize that they do. Literally what's happened in the e-commerce ecosystem, there's a version of that in almost every in industry. every industry, Every right? industry's yeah. got a version of it, man. That's kind of crazy. Schools, ADDU stuff. You know what I mean? There's companies that do that. It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know how Clavio got so big? I do. How? Affiliates. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, not affiliates. Dropshippers, affiliates, and Shopify are the reasons, why, in my opinion, they got big. And what I mean by that is, remember, Shopify, you guys have been around for a while. Shopify's first wave was all around affiliates, right? They were getting people to, to do dropshipping. What, 2014 to 2017 was like, there was no brands. It was mostly dropshipping people. You're right. Yeah, 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 and yeah. so that's how they made their money. They And they used affiliates on like, Dan Silva's a perfect person, drove millions of dollars towards you, Shopify <laughs> yeah. by being their affiliate. He said he was abusing that. He said he was abusing that. Yeah, sending people towards like their CPA program they had. So Clavio yeah. naturally was the Shopify like push like partner. company partner. So all these companies went there. And eventually, 
like all things, it became more natural and rhythmic and like real brands. But if you look at most brands that are in the market in the D2C space, they didn't start to like 2016, 2017, 18 after the yeah. dropshipping wave, after a lot of these things. So I look at it as saying these dropshippers started growing up because a lot of these guys started as dropshippers and they grew into brands. And they realized, hey, I got to start Yeah, playing. and then they had that combined with Clavio's uh, agency program, which is good, and there's nothing wrong with it, but they use that plus the whole performance metric of Clavio attribution, which is incredibly loose and wild, of course, as uh, most people would, unless you start tightening it up and switching th things. Yeah. All of those drove things, right? Screenshots of Shopify became screenshots of Clavio of like making money with email when it was unnatural, right? Unnatural levels of percentage of attribution that was occurring. Mm. But people loved that. And then agencies grew up off well, of that. Well, because technically with attribution, you can make Clavio look like it's made you so yeah. much more money. <laughs> Throw a 30-day open window in there and a you know, seven-day click, 10-day click. And like Clavio is amazing. Yeah, you 150% yeah. of your revenue is connected through Clavio, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's kind of it. So- I think people gotten smarter about it, but we still see a lot of people are still sold on that. Like I was making so much money. I was like, no, you weren't. Like, let's use a third party tool and actually look at the data and realize that none of us are actually correct, even Sendlane or Clavio. You should be using a third party attribution on purpose because that's what a good business does. For sure. You need a non non biased product. That, that's such a tough thing, the tracking attribution, because you can have you can have a TikTok ad, someone comes in, purchase the, pro or like, then you send an abandoned cart email and then they purchase from that, but like maybe they would have otherwise were already, already purchased. Purchase, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, so that's, that's so tough. That's why Triple Well blew up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. we were trying to figure this out and we still don't know. We still have no yeah. idea. No idea. Multi-touch attribution is now the hottest word in the game right now, but they really it just means, it means best guess. It just means, <laughs> you, yeah, I was gonna say, it just means they say yes to a lot of stuff now. And yeah. it's like, how do you weigh that? Seriously. Yeah. Know. So also going down the stacks, so obviously emails like what you guys are really known for. What else does Helene do that like makes a difference? Yeah. Sense? So we do SMS now too. Okay. We started that in 2021. Uh, we did SMS. Um, how come SMS is so expensive? I always ask, ask that dude, question. You know, I always laugh. We don't really make that much money on I, SMS. I was going to say, you probably don't either. Yeah. Uh, SMS. Okay. The number one person who makes all the money is the carriers. AT and T, Verizon, like, yeah, all the carrier fees. That's the most expensive damn thing that we pay out of wow. our pocket. The other side is just API fees to these providers that send them. So you know, SMS what sub penny, right? It's less than a penny, but it's like it's like squeezing every penny. You know what I mean? Like, Literally. I would say what's weird is in the e-commerce world, there was a race to the bottom. So like. There isn't that much room left in the market for this. Like for as far, SMS, you're saying? Yeah, like the, the dollars. If you go outside of this, again, remember I talked about other vertical, go to real estate, go to go to restaurants, go all, dude, they're paying four, five, seven cents in SMS in that market for the same thing we sell. Oh, Why? so they just repackage it differently. Well, yeah, they're just better at packaging. They didn't drive their market down to the ground. Interesting. And yeah. then they didn't have to fight that. Have, have you seen that one company thing. called Jobber? Have you Jobber, seen Jobber? Yeah, I've heard that name. It's pretty much like a Shopify for like HVAC companies, landscaping companies, this type of stuff. It's like you can just like make it all an app on your phone or whatever. Yeah. And like like their SMS is like a lot more expensive than like Clavios or Sendlanes and stuff like that. It's kind of nuts. Because they yeah, don't yeah. know. The market doesn't know there. But they're all pay everyone's paying the same price Correct. on the back end. Yeah. Interesting. We're all paying the same bottom end price. Yeah. How much margin you can make on it is really... Dude, I met a schooling thing. They charge 10 cents per SMS at schooling EDU company, that was a marketing automation company that I didn't know. And I was like, 10 cents? They're like, yeah. I was like, wow, your margins are beautiful. You know? <laughs> me, yeah. I'm just trying to squeak by. Like for me, if it wasn't for email my margins would be shit. Like there wouldn't be good for a SaaS company, but because of a uh, because of the email side, it helps. So we do those two and then we do product reviews as well. So like Yapo, Kendo, whatever you want to go. Yeah, how did Yapo get so expensive? 
I don't know. Like, I know there's one guy on t- Twitter that hates him, obviously. Oh, yeah. Moyes hates him. Oh, yeah. Moyes hates him. <laughs> Moyes yeah. hates him. Like, how the... F- like, it's just a... You know, you know what the funny... And also, there's so many free ones. Like, yeah. how the yeah. fuck did it get so expensive? Somewhere along the line, somewhere devolved value around... They put attribution on the reviews, which is insane. I don't know how you're putting attributions on just to post a review, but they are. <laughs> um, and yeah, dude, I don't know where it happened, but you're 100% right. I've had people come with a $10,000 reviews bill, and I'm like, monthly. Damn. Like, what? what? What are you paying this for? And like, it made me spark real fast, like... You know, I had created a reviews product back in the day, like it was called Review Trust and as still live today, 20 some thousand people in there. Um, and I realized how much of a commodity is really easy to build. So hundred oh, yeah, percent. So yeah, we yeah, knocked yeah. it out and built it over like six months, man. Like we have a Yapo competitive product in six months. That wow. just tells you how undefensible that mode is. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why judge me and all these $7, $12. Yeah. Judge I, me exists. I came yeah, out yeah. for free because I was like, you know what? Screw you guys all. We're just going to give it away. Right. Why not? Because it doesn't really cost me money. Yeah, yeah. Serve some data, serve some. But reality is, is like, there isn't all that much you can do with reviews. Seriously. I mean, yeah. Yapo's yeah. a perfect company. Like, what have they done? They didn't do anything more reviews. They literally added and bought a bunch of other products to like add into their market share. That was literally. their way of doing it. But they couldn't really do much with reviews. What more elevation can you do outside of what you can offer today? That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the only thing go. you do with reviews is like collect them or send an email asking to collect them. Yeah. Right. Like, and then how it looks, making yeah, it well, look now pretty. You can embed them and use them as like dynamic and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, you yeah, add yeah. more to them. But yeah, you're right. Like, there isn't that much more to this. That's like, so yeah. crazy. No secret to it. You know what I mean? So, so you guys have SMS, email, reviews, and what else? And then, so right now, we're about to drop is our product forms. Okay. So, like, that's huge. Yeah, quizzes, surveys, you know, opt-in page, multi-step, all that stuff we're going to be working on. Segmentable on-site personalizations. When you come on, it'll check against your list, see if you're like a customer or buyer, be able to display different pop-ups, global, you know, all that Dude, stuff. Dude, honestly, Shopify goes like the wild, wild west though. Yeah. Because like, like you said, it's not hard to build many of these things. No. It's just like, how do you package this crap? It's how you package it and then how do you teach and position Like it. there was a time period, I think it was like, Early last year, maybe like in 2021, where there was like so many subscription companies, like every like once they changed like that subscription thing with recharge, model, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> recharge. Everybody yeah. was a subscription. Well, company. I mean, yeah, it's funny. Like it's waves, right? We're friends so, with some of them. We love you guys. Yeah, <laughs> Still, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, unfortunately subscription companies, I think, are going to continue to be pushed on because Shopify is going to keep building on it. It's such a big driver of their revenue, and there's subscription platforms like uh, what's that one? Subly or something. There's like companies that like are Shopify, but for subscriptions that are happening. Mm, oh, Shopify is going to look at that and say, I better become like that and not lose my market share. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, They're going to build out their subscription program. So, you know, as you said, you know, I got people listening. I love you guys, but like it's a hard business, man. Really it, hard yeah, business. It's a hard business to latch on, especially with their changes. Pre those changes, it was a wild, wild west a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because there was no checkboxes and all this stuff. <laughs> remember yeah, upsells? Yeah, that yeah. was a big thing. Remember when everyone was all hot on upsells and then they shut them all down? And now, there's a great company called Aftersell that does upsells. Literally. They just do it a little bit different. And yeah. suddenly it's a hot product. And I was laughing. I was like, we did this in 2018. Like, <laughs> like, why are we now thinking this is the new coolest thing in the world? But the yeah. reality is they've repositioned where you came up. And that's just the cycle of life. Interesting. Yeah. What, what do you think about this whole Shopify ecosystem as a whole, though? Like, does it keep growing? Because I feel like it's grown like crazy. COVID obviously helped it just exponentially grow. Like, where is this? E-commerce not going anywhere. I think we all agree on that one. But like, where does this whole ecosystem Where's Shopify goes? top out? Yeah, yeah. yeah where's so Shopify top before out? Before COVID, I thought that Shopify was going to have a lot of challenges with a lot of market like companies like BigCommerce and some of these other guys who were coming up. And then COVID changed everything, unfortunately. Like yeah. not unfortunately, I think like in a Fort- good, fortunately, fortunately yeah. it's a better word, I guess. But like, 
I think, well, unfortunately for them, I guess, is my better answer. And what I mean by that is we're hitting our 3.0 wave of commerce. So if, what I mean by that is 1.0 is way back in like 20, 2008, 2009, like eBay. Like dollar shape. Oh, even before that. Like yeah. way back in the okay, day, all this technology yeah, yeah, that you yeah, don't yeah. hear about. That's, That's where Salesforce Commerce Club. Then Shopify wave came up, big commerce. A lot of these guys started coming up. And Shopify has almost moved into that 3.0 wave, while a lot of these guys, unfortunately, in the market have not been able to catch up. They don't understand that people don't want to custom develop everything and just use their back end. At that point, they're just going to go custom. They just want to pay yeah. 30 bucks and they just have plug a website. And play. Yeah, they want them. plug and play, right? Yeah. So I think that Shopify is doing a great job of like moving forward. I, I'm curious about their enterprise moment or if they're going to continue still like servicing that lower end. I think it's the question will come to every business eventually. And I think they're going to be faced with that decision. Because like, also, is Shopify plus enterprise like, it's like the same special. product with like another logo on top <laughs> a logo of it. and a customer service number that you can yeah, like yeah. you can kind of change the checkout a little yeah. bit. Kind of not really. It's not. I mean, even back when back in 2014 when we became a Shopify Plus store, it was all it was was you get a reduced rate and you'd get the CDN. Like they would not you put you on a somebody. shared server; they'd put you on your own cloud. Oh, that was all you paid for back then. So it made sense back then because the rate reduction was strong enough that yeah. it would offset the cost, right? And when I understood that, I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. But literally felt no difference on the site, right? <laughs> and so I don't think that it matters. Shopify Plus, it's just positioning at the end of the day. But I, I'm bullish on Shopify. I think that they're going to continue to innovate much forward. They've got the right team, I think, with Harley and Toby in, in the lead there. I think they've got a really strong team. And that's going to be propelling. But there will be competitors. And I, I know they're coming. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But I keep saying it. It's going to be hyper-verticalized. There's going to be a, a Shopify for clothing stores. A Shopify mm -hmm. for CPG su uh, subscriptions, like really hyper-focused niche down products are going to be the next wave, in my opinion, yeah. because Shopify is broad. It does a lot of things, but they are not focused. And as I go back to it, someone's going to focus, someone's going to win, Obsess and they're going to go it. obsessively go after mm. one little market well, in there. I feel like the uh, the guys who are like kind of affiliate marketers into like branders go to like ClickFunnels, for example. There you go. Where you can just like, you could build out your whole like one page or VSL or whatever. And like that, you can't do that on shop. You can, but like you really can't. It's hard to do yeah, it on yeah, Shopify. Yeah, you can. But we all know that, that their direct response way is the most effective way exactly. to make direct drop shipping sales, for example. You want to sell that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. What about that whole drop shipping world too? The last, one of the last podcasts we had, the guy goes, drop shipping is a scam. That was like the big line and like it blew up on that. What do you think about drop shipping as a whole too? I, I don't think it's a scam because you're selling a product, you're delivering the product and you're selling them in a direct response way. I think dropshipping is your first entry in from a direct response marketer into selling a physical product instead of digital. What direct response people do, they do the same thing we did when we sold digital products, an ebook, a course, mm -hmm. right? They're taking that same idea, the psychological mentality. Look, if someone takes those and most directors, directors, they're reading a crazy page, they're got like a really impulsive ad. We all understand it, like what they are. They're not brands, they're money-making machines. Nothing wrong with that. Dude, could you argue Amazon? If you look at what Amazon, oh, yeah. they're kind of the world's largest dropshipper guy. Yeah, they're they're dropshipping Have you seen products. the new new thing where like under all their listings, it says like in the last month, a thousand of these have been purchased. That's like that dropshipping central right there. That's what I'm trying to say. And like Amazon just added it. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, like Amazon is in order. Amazon is. Yeah, Amazon's not fake. That's fake. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, but Amazon is the world's largest dropshipper. So I yeah. can't say that's bad. I just think that not everyone agrees on the model, right? Is it a, is it a a brand building legacy model? No, 
But is it a cash cow that works? Absolutely. Is it great to use all the same things we talk about today? Probably not. You don't need to have to shit when you're doing dropshipping. Yeah. You need add a landing page and a product Literally. and you just need to go crazy. Like yeah. none of the other stuff <laughs> yeah. really matters. Email, not email. Like that's great. But like- You learn the basics. Yeah, you learn the basics and you're just really good at the basics and you're really good at top line conversion. That's where they make money. You're not first looking to make profitability. You're not making all LTV. Stuff. You're making forced profitability, true ROI. Yeah, and that's a, a rigor that brands don't have. Out no brands have yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, that's yeah. where they should be. They should be thinking about it, but they don't. So I don't think dropshipping is bad. I think dropshipping is how the world moves. I mean, literally, when you order stuff from a lot of places, they literally dropship that product to you. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think people just. Take the negative connotation because they have that. But guys, like Timu, you guys know Timu? Oh, that's popping off right now. Yeah. $4, you can get yourself like 14 hoodies and like yeah, <laughs> literally. Win 200 things. That came out of nowhere. Bro, yeah. It's drop shipping. Yeah. It's not though, yeah. right? It's drop shipping. It's Amazon, but gamified, right? Like that's a gamified Amazon. But like you look at that stuff and you're like, is that a scam? Well, not really. It's just how people want to shop. Yeah. And like I guess wish.com was very Same similar. thing, wish.com. I mean, yeah. Alibaba, no. Noble, like it's still, it, they're still selling your product. Like Wish.com's loop was just a copy of AliExpress with a different yeah. logo on it. And yeah. the yeah. word scam means that you're stealing from people. You're still delivering a product. No, you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so how is that so bad? Like yeah. that's how I look at it. Like you are, and it's a business model. Is it the one that I would do? No, but is it the one you want to do? Sure. <laughs> sure. Like, go, yeah. for it. go crazy. Yeah, every, there's plenty of money to be made in this world, guys. And like you could do whatever you want, whatever your heart contends. And if it makes you happy, then be happy. For sure. How, how many of these clients you guys have or like brands you have are all on Shopify? So say 95% of it? No, actually, we're actually pretty good. Some of our brands are on like custom sites, some are on oh, BigCommerce, really? some are on WooCommerce, Magento, Salesforce. So I've got a pretty good mix. I would say about half my clients are Shopify and now. And you can integrate with all these things. Yeah, we built ourselves so we're well, well integrated because I didn't want to be pigeonholed into one one market. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. I don't know if Colin knew this, but you also raised like $40 million, right? Yeah, we have, I raised some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I raised yeah. some money. What's that process of? like <laughs> is that process like uh, raising money is something that you've got to be really prepared for mentally and physically i know you we all hear about how companies overnight raise 100 million dollars that's not the truth for most companies right it's about being at the right place having the right investors saying getting enough nose to it so i'll tell you the first story i'll give you the first time i raised money and how it went because you guys will get a little bit glimpse of it all right <laughs> so no idea how to raise money i had started send lane i had bootstrapped it i had gotten into some good revenue and i said now I got to go and uh, go raise some money so I can build this next generation platform. So I didn't know what to do. I Googled it, I researched it, and basically came up with the idea that I would need to go on TechCrunch or Crunchbase and go find a bunch of investors. So we congregated a big list of investors, and then we just emailed them. We cold emailed them, just like we all talk about, and you would cold email them, we got straight. At first, that was the whole like, hey, you want to get coffee? But then quickly, I learned that they don't want to get coffee. They want to know if you've got an offer or not and something good or not. So I just went into straight pitch mode. I think I talked to 150 people, wow. right? Met them, walked down Sand Hill Road, walked down New York, walked in Boston. Like we spent three months on and the road. And you felt good about it. You were like, I got something happening here. I got something happening, but everyone yeah. tells me no. That's basically yeah, what yeah, we're yeah, going yeah. around. So you've got this un obsessive drive to go raise money. And eventually you get to a place and you don't know, you figure it out, you know your pitch, you're smooth. And then you get out there and you started pitching it. And when it connects, man, it connects. And I always tell people two things. It's a sales process. So treat it like one. And number two, you'll know within 24 hours if you're getting money or not. If you don't get here in 24 hours, you're most likely not getting money from the person. And I say that because every term sheet I've ever had in my business, all the money I've raised is all been 24 hours later. Really? I get that term sheet. If I don't, wow. I know it's dead in the water or there's hesitation. They should be coming off that meeting so convicted 
that they want to push forward. And they, they are so convicted that they want to go forward because that's what you're doing. You're selling yourself. A seed stage, you're selling yourself. An A stage, you're selling the fact that you've got some traction. A B stage, you're selling your team. It's no longer about you anymore. And then C, D, E, F, that's all growth. That's all, how much dollars can I put in? How much dollars can I get out, right? That's really the stages of it. And if you come in with that mentality and understand what you're trying to do, right? When I raised my A, I told them, I showed traction, I showed product. Here's the broad vision that I want to go after. When I raised my B, C, D, it's been, now here's my traction, here's my dollars, here's why I need this dollars. This is what I'm going to output from those Pretty dollars. much I plugged 20 million into this machine and it outputs 40 million. Correct. Do that's you want what, some of that's that? That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. along the way, we all got muddy that you just collect a bunch of money and then like you wither away and then there's more money available. It's just a really loose economy at one point. But now it's tight, right? Now it's tight. And now it's really hard to get my brands, especially are really hard getting it. But I don't know. If I was in their shoes, I'd be going to get debt. I hate. I know people hate that word debt, but man, debt was my earliest driver and I love that. I think debt's the best because what, you What kind of debt would like a tech company or e-commerce company yeah, use? Dude, uh, I used, uh, uh, what are they, revenue-backed financing. Okay. So that's what I used when I was doing it where they would take a portion of my revenue every month and take it back out. I think it worked well because it allowed me to know that I was paying it off and I, it just put more pressure on me to increase my margins and make that profit margin behind it. I like that better than like an SBA or like a more thing. But there's also great loans. If your business more established, you can get like a nice SBA. And dude, you can have nice monthly payments and really get a huge cash influx, you know? For sure. Again, you got to know what to do with it. If you're just doing it because you just want cash, that's not the right answer. You got to know like, I'm going to take that money. I'm going to turn faster than whatever that interest rate is, right? Seven, 10% interest rates plus. Like you need to be growing faster with that money than you are You are Definitely. collecting. And I feel like that's a good place to bring this to because like i feel like as brands grow the founder doesn't become like a day-to-day doing shit becomes like literally like a, a money allocator like literally like you're saying i gotta take seven percent cash and create like 30 percent returns on it how do i do that where do i plug i don't know a quarter million dollars to make that happen right like, is, that, is that how you think day-to-day? yeah absolutely i mean that's exactly yeah. what you got to think about like Dude, it's it's a hard shift going from like the guy who's on the ground doing the stuff to the beep guy who's managing the people to the guy who's leading the business and vision. Like along the way, you as a person have to change a lot. And you do. And like even me, like as much as I've done, this is my third business. I've done some great things in my life. I don't want to be CEO forever. I have no intention to be CEO forever because being CEO is not a glorious job. It's yeah, you sound great, but like you're stuck in paperwork, operational, organizational, HR, people hiring, people management, all these things that you don't. Most founders are better as like a brand guy, like a person who's out there innovating or thinking forward. Like I have full intention to step aside eventually because the business is at a point where I can have it. I have people I'm grooming right now to take my uh, slot because I don't want to do that. I want to go to the shit I love. And right. And that's why we became founders. And and you're more valuable in that spot Yeah, You're way more valuable doing this. You have no idea what you're doing. We didn't go and get the degrees that you had in order (laughs) to be sitting in that seat. You know, I'm not the smartest dude. I'm just the guy who understood that I was going to not quit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. We did a podcast with Yassine from Parker and he said that, he said, once I built it to the point where I wouldn't hire myself, then that's how I knew that it was, the company was in a great position. Yep, that's exactly. a good line. Right? Yeah, hire everyone smarter than you. Yeah, you got to hire everybody. It's all about your team, man. Like, I know we all want to hire people with grit and this and that and all that stuff, but the reality is you got to hire people better than you. I think one of the biggest mistakes I've learned over my time of like hiring a I don't know how many hundreds of people I've hired through my businesses, but the number one mistake I had, I gave too many people too many shots and not enough people that were already proven and taken the shot with the proof. Well, I'm going to push you back though, because like for someone who doesn't have a business that raised the millions money. of dollars, how do you do that? Like say you have a profitable business that's doing sure. well. It's like, like, we've talked about this, right? How does someone like myself hire better people than us when you 
maybe can't even afford it. You know what I mean? Well, it's about selling people, man. It's yeah. about selling people on the vision, what you're trying to outcome. Like people who are, you're getting at a higher level don't come to you because they're thinking about the now. They come to you because they want to look at the next two years, three years, five years. That's fair. Like a good executive who comes to join you, if they're only talking about one, two years, you've got a problem because mm. you actually want them to be committed to for five years. That's like really the life cycle of a good executive. So if they can't see your vision in five years from where you're going to get and why this outcome is going to be good, they probably weren't the right person for you. I like that. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to sell them. Dude, some of my earliest people are still here in the company five, six years later. They didn't make shit when they started, man. Now they make healthy freaking incomes and now they see the outcome. They got stock options vested and they know that they were going after the drive, but they came after the bigger, healthier Oh, Always got to be selling. Yeah, you got to be selling. Dude, your job is- founder is to be the best salesperson for the company for sure that's life yeah, yeah, yeah. sell yeah. to customers sell VCs, everybody, employees right? everybody right shield everybody. <laughs> shield yeah. everybody right like the reality is you're always shilling right like that's the that's who you are as a person doesn't mean you have to come off like that but that's always going to be the thing that you do for sure well yeah i know you have something yeah you were talking about like people being obviously very critical in, in the role of a business's growth i think that Hermosi said this very well. He's like, if you're an individual, then you should be uh, spending every excess dollar that you have beyond your living expenses in education to like teach yourself what you need to do. But then once you have a business and you kind of know what you need to do and it's just the people, then you should probably be spending every excess penny that you have beyond you know profitability or break even or uh, business main- maintenance expenses on on new people, right? Yeah. Would you like agree with that? Not only new people, but always constantly challenging people, elevating your yeah. people. You know, and the harsh answer is replacing your people along yep. the way too. You know, people have stages. Like everyone's good for a certain stage. People are good for a certain time. After a certain time, we all kind of have, including myself, we all expire eventually. And you have to realize that when you understand that, you realize like where you're good for. Like I love when people know what they're good for. Like I'm really good at that early stage or I'm good at that like scaling growth stage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That just means you should know and where that's where you should work and you shouldn't work anywhere else. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of interesting. And I was talking about this. It takes 12 strong months for any team member employee to like really start getting it. Okay. I think two years to start making impact, three years to be excellent. Wow. And if you think about it like that, why? Because it's just rigor, man, doing more things in the business and getting involved. But unfortunately, too many people are at year one and they really want to be like year three, but they're not year three people. They just want to be paid like year three. So they go chase after it. Eventually, they burn themselves out and they lose all of it, right? Like I see this so often with the younger guys. Like I see them like just bounce job from job from job and eventually you become the guy who job bounces jobs and unhirable. Interesting. You know, yeah. like when I hire people, I don't like job bouncers. I like patterns. I, I look at patterns five year, one year, five year, one year, one year, three year, three year, two year, you know, like those are all patterns to me. And it tells you how most likely they're going to commit to be loyal. And the most first time something's a little hard, they're not going to run out on you because it's going to get hard. It's not, it's not roses and sunshine all the time. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to get mad. You're going to get mad. We're not going to like each other sometimes. That's part of a business. We do this because there's an outcome. It's money, right? It's financial at the end of the day, but it's also career, right? Yeah. So, you know, you think about all these things and, you know, our jobs as entrepreneurs is very simple. It's like your job is to just make sure that when they leave the company, that they move on and do better on the next company. For sure. That's like your job in life. Like that's how I look at my job in life as an entrepreneur. Have you had any people who work with you guys go on and start their own companies? I've had a couple start their own companies. I have a certain become C-levels in different companies, wow. do some great things. And dude, it's humbling, man. It's like, wow, like I enabled that. That's cool. And I'm making the world and that person's doing better off. And hopefully they don't forget about me one day when they do that. Yeah, right? right? Like, yeah. It's cool. But that's, that's, that's part of the journey, right? 
Definitely. No, this, this has been awesome. And like, if you uh, if you're on Clavio, fuck Clavio. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, but now anybody who I know is be send lane email. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I appreciate no, that. Guys. Like, it makes sense because like. I've always thought about it. Like, literally, they were the only people in this space. That's and then it. you guys popped off about a year or half ago. I don't know how, but you obviously knew what the hell you were <laughs> Gorilla doing. Gorilla marketing. Gorilla marketing. Gorilla marketing. And the craziest thing is I always thought it was like a brand new company. And it's not. No. It's like yeah. literally 10 years, 10 years old. 10 years old. It's a 10-year-old product. And it, kind of Not nuts. product, but kind of company. Yeah. yeah. I've been doing it for 10 years. Which means like the tech is there. It's as good, if not better than everything else on the we market. We do better things. Absolutely. Deliverability, for example. Like we own our own engine. We did that because we're stupid. What does that mean? So back when 2013, we didn't know you Wait, go- sorry to bother you, cut you off. When you send a fucking email, right? Who the hell is actually sending it? Are you sending it or is like so Google sending it? So we don't send it. We Well, we send it to through our, what we call our MTA or mail transfer okay. uh, thing. And it goes to Google and we bring it to Google's door. We show them all the signatures and they either accept or decline it. Okay. Okay. So that's how it works. So that motion, that technology, we didn't know- that you could go with SendGrid or whatever they were back then. I think they were called SendGrid back then, now Twilio. Um, but we didn't know that technology existed. So we went oh, and just kind of did our own and tried to build it. And somehow that's become our greatest strength now because we over NAS 10 years, we built this network. We have you know data, information, all the things that are happening that are so powerful now that like it allows us to scale. And so, the, so you did it in-house rather than we paying are in-house. for Twilio. We do not have a third party with that. And that allows us to be really good expertise. And then just the people I hired on my team, going back to it, I've got the guy who wrote the Can Spam Act with 11 other people. like, And yeah. he made and defined what DKM and DMARC is. Like that's guys on my team as my director of deliverability. And Jeez. then my-, my He's sim- your director of deliverability. <laughs> that's my director of deliverability. Damn. So he's calling up. <laughs> Lily at Yahoo, Brandon at Gmail. These are the postmasters there. He can call them up. Oh, as they're buddies. called postmasters. Isn't like the USPS postmaster, yeah, but Gmail postmaster. Post- wow. That's nuts. Yeah, so Brandon at Gmail, Lily at Yahoo. Like these are the post. They're like the ultimate controller of the strings at the end of the day. And so you have to have that. It's just, dude, it's a network, right? You got to have that connection. And then, you know, having that. And then my other guy, my RB, who's my uh, head of uh, the, the entire engineering technology CTO. Uh, I picked them up from this company called Zeta Global. And, okay. and you probably never heard of Zeta Global, no. but they are the largest ESP in the world that none of you guys have ever heard of because they only <laughs> they only service Fortune 100s. Jeez. Fortune 100s. Damn. Now, I think they've gotten to thousands now, but they were only Fortune 100s. So the only the biggest companies in the world used them. And he was running the machine learning deliverability engine over there. And we brought him in to like redo all that. So a lot of the things that we have on our platform, as much as we love what Sendlane is, the backend infrastructure alone is worth a ton of money. And that alone is probably why we get acquired one day more than even the front end part, because that part is like something that you can't replicate very easily. Interesting. Damn. And like all this helps emails get sent better. That's it. That's it. We are focused on deliverability number one and foremost. That's what we care about most because if the email doesn't get delivered, I don't care what segmentation, what dynamic, what whatever you have, none of that actually matters. Deliverability is everything. So you're you're on the brand side to just help them get more deliverability. Yeah, because that's what we want. More deliverability equals more money equals more happiness. 100%. More sales, baby. Yeah, Yeah. more sales, more happiness. Who doesn't love more sales? You know what I mean? 100%, man. No, this was was awesome. I'm good to go. You have anything No, I got one more question. So like one thing that I advocate brands to do, we do it for brands because we have the a retention marketing element to our agency services is uh, sending just surveys to customers. Yeah. And so like what we've done is um, we, 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 in the, I mean, we still do now what we'll do. And I kind of want your advice on this is we'll just send like Google forms with like top, you know, six, seven questions 
usually like a scale of, you know, one to five of how good their experience was in X category, right? Whether it's shipping speed, uh, customer service and communication, product quality, uh, website, like ease of navigation, uh, creative or marketing, like how, how compelling that was to obviously get them to purchase. So like little touch points like this, and we've gotten like thousands of submissions from like one email being sent with some of these brands. And it gives them a lot of clarity as to what they need to fix or what new products they want to launch. Like we'll say, hey, we're thinking about coming out with these three products, which was which is your favorite? And we'll get it one, one that's a majority favorite. And now they go and they make huge business decisions based off of just customer feedback. One, too many brands underutilize this. Two, is that a good method of doing it? Or is there a way to like integrate a form or like a post-purchase survey in a different way that maybe is better on deliverability or like response rate or something like that? Sure. Uh, so one, it's absolutely a great way to do things. Uh, I think more brands, it's not even brands, all businesses don't talk to their customers enough. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I try to solve in my business today. I just want to make sure I talk to everybody and try to get engaged. Even the smallest people, it's important. Number two to your thing. So you're sending them to Google form. Uh, is it a lot of questions? How many questions? No, you maybe five. Okay. So you're asking about five. So it, and it's also not like open-ended. It'll Four of them will be like a rank one to five. And so it's a bubble. And then maybe one will be open-ended where people will write like three to five sentences. Sure. So there are technologies out there. So first there's obviously, I'm sure you've heard of AMP before. Have you heard mm-hmm. of AMP? So AMP is Accelerate Mobile. Um, I think it's Accelerate Mobile something. I can't remember what the acronym stands for. Basically, it's technology that allows you to embed like JavaScript inside of an email. It's expensive. It's hard to do. It's not that great. So there's that. That's like the highest level technology that you could do. Otherwise, I think that often when you think about it, it's really just the design and thing. Like, I don't know how you design it if you tell them to go to survey or if you're asking them their first question right off front. But I would ask them their first question right on that page. When they click on it, it would take them to the rest of the survey because now you've gotten their interaction and you've gotten your first answer down. So the most important one should be the first clicking in case mm-hmm. they abandoned. Because I, why I asked you how many questions there are, They've been proven that if you ask more than like three questions, people are more yeah. likely to bounce after oh, three because yeah, people yeah. just don't like being bothered. Well, I think one thing we all, I think we have it embedded in the actual email. So okay. they, so they don't have oh, to leave the, forms yeah, yeah so good. they don't have to leave the platform. I now, think that's I the beauty of it. What are you doing with the data? I mean, right. that's really the answer that comes to it. But man, that's good. I mean, I don't hear yeah. very many brands do it. With and, and it's like, it's so helpful because it's like, oh, you know, someone will say like, oh, you know what? There was a, when I was trying to check out, there wasn't a shipping option. So I had to come back in a week and then order. And we're like, oh fuck. Like we didn't have okay. shipping set up for Canada for like a week, huh. something like that. You know what I mean? And then like you, you fix it because you talk to your customers. Like Aaron's very good on that. Like Aaron from uh, Hush Blankets, he literally will just call his customers oh, yeah, and say, hey, founder of Hush, like just want to say thank you so much. You know, we actually threw in a free gift and they're like, holy shit, like that, this is not, and, and then guess what? Yeah, they're going to yeah. come back and spend three grand over the next three years with them because of and that. And they're going to tell all their friends. Yo, like, that's per, the wild yeah. thing is they're going to be like, dude, I bought this new blanket. You know, it's not something you normally talk about, but you would talk about it because, yeah. because the founder called out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Even, even even if it wasn't the founder, it was just the customer service. It still feels good. Yeah, yeah. That human touch of the phone call is the most underutilized phone call that people, you yeah. know, people, not phone call, underutilized thing that people stop doing. Because I don't know why. Like, I, I actually, it's weird. Yeah. Like, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, there's very few brands you can call. people are scared to talk to each other. Well, that though. might be it, too. Literally, like, people just want to type and, like, be yeah. full in control of, like, out and Behind in. Behind the computer. Yeah. When you, it's kind of crazy because, like, when you, like, message people, if you call them and have that same conversation, it's totally different. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're scared. Like, people right? can be dicks over, like, Slack keep, or keep email. Yeah. Or blah, blah, blah. Right? You call you them, call like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, whoa, I can't be mean to this guy. Real <laughs> yeah. That's why I always laugh. Like, you know, one of the things I say, like, when we're growing up, like, 
you didn't get on internet fights. You got in fights in person. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, old, yeah. Like in your face, like talking to people and saying that. Dude, that doesn't happen in the world anymore these days. People are scared. They blow like, you up yeah. on TikTok or, or something. They'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'll, they'll be passive really nice to you and then they're going to the internet and talk shit on you. And Seriously. you're like, we were just together. Why couldn't you just <laughs> yeah. tell me this stuff? Like, yeah. Front, but it's or just the market. It'll be user one, two, three, four, five. Oh, God. Daddy's money. <laughs> trolls. Gotta love the trolls, man. The ones that are so scared to tell you that feedback. But the reality is yeah. most people can take feedback pretty well and they should accept it. Like the yeah, best, most successful founders, they feedback the best. Like that is yeah. very much a characteristic you got to be able to take in a non-defensive way. If something sucks, you got to be able to admit it sucks. It's okay. Yeah, for sure. We'll go fix it. For sure. Yeah. No, I think it's been awesome. I think we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I think you want to become more famous. So for people who don't know who you are, where can they find you? Uh, I think social media. Like, I think you're actually like a very well-known person in the space. Yeah. But we actually have a lot of dropshippers who do watch this too. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like dropshippers don't even know about Sunlane. Yeah. And I feel like they should because it's a game changer in a sense. We charge by volume. So that would be there really you go. good for dropshippers. Yeah. Um, it helps a whole bunch. You can find me in two places. I live online. I live on X, formerly known as Twitter. Now we have to still say that. It's, uh, <laughs> You're going to cancel you for that one. <laughs> yeah, hey, meta or Facebook. <laughs> at yo Jimmy Kim. So like Y-O-J-I-M-M-Y-K-I-M. And then you'll find me on LinkedIn at Jimmy Kim. Uh, I also have an Instagram, but I don't really do much on there. Like I post some stories, but you can message me there too. I'm <laughs> everywhere. Like we'll I link it all in the uh, description of this video. Be, but you can come find me, and I'm not very hard to find. I have a pretty generic name, so it's easy to find. For and I'm sure. always wearing a a hat generally because I don't care. <laughs> and then yeah. for Sunlane, just go to Sunlane. Yeah, go to Sunlane or hit me up, and I'll hook you up with somebody if you're interested in talking about things. Yeah, we can show you around. Our pricing's super transparent. You can go on the page and look it up. You can go trial it. You can do all that fun stuff. So yeah, sunlane.com slash NMT15. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take you back to Sunlane, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, guys, now we appreciate you coming out here. Yeah. Also, shout out to our sponsors. I usually don't know who the sponsors are for the videos because like it's like- We got to prepare them a while in prepare, advance. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is but coming the out links like will be in the description. The clips will be throughout the video. Very well positioned. Yeah, Ad yeah, yeah. quality, ready to be ran. Yeah. We actually we actually did have a sponsor that, that ran one of our calls as an ad. And it it outperformed all their other their other ads, which is like really people cool. Love, people love this. People yeah, love yeah. So yeah. Shout out to the sponsors. Shout out to all the listeners. The audience is growing. We're almost at like three K subs on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Email the newsletter if you want and subscribe. Make sure you go subscribe. People love yeah. listening. Sorry, reading that they don't like listening. Like reading <laughs> the best. Um, follow us on Instagram too. Instagram's blowing up. Almost yeah, 10K at this almost point. ten. So uh, now we appreciate you guys. It's been over almost a year and a half at this point. We've been doing yeah. this, so yeah. we're gonna keep going. We have some good guests coming up too. But nah, man, we appreciate you coming out here and yeah. uh, make sure you guys go check out Sunland. They're the best in the game. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. Yes. Right, we'll see you in the next one. one.